Praise the Lord. Good morning. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, we've got a lot of people here for a Barnabas weekend. Really uh, good to see. Praise the Lord. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Acts 16, 25. Before I get into that scripture... I need to ask a question, and uh, the title of my sermon is, What Must I Do to Be Saved? What Must I Do to Be Saved? And um, I'm very fond of asking this question. I've asked a lot of people this question over the years, and uh, how you answer this question tells me where you are with the Lord for eternity. Where your position for eternity is determined by how you answer that simple question. What must I do to be saved? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a few moments here. And I'm going to ask everybody to participate in this question. And to make sure I know that you've answered the question, I want you to take time to do this. I want you to raise your hand when you have the answer in your mind of what your answer to this question is. How do I know that I'm going to heaven, or how do I know that I'm saved right now? Now, whether you are or whether you aren't, I don't know, but do you even know how to get to heaven? Because the truth is, and and keep thinking about it, the truth is you could die at any moment. You could be cast into eternity at any moment, and you say, well, I'm young, You still could die at any moment. Every single day, we are burying those who are young, very, very young. And the Bible says that we don't have one minute, we don't have one moment guaranteed that death could come at any moment. And I would really hate for you to sit in a church and know everything about the Bible, everything about the history of the Bible, everything about the geography of the Bible, Everything about all these questions and not know how do I get to heaven? How can I be saved? So I want you to think right now, what does it take to be saved? And when you have an answer, it doesn't have to be the right answer because I'm hoping by the end of this message you understand what it takes to be saved. So when you think you have an answer, I want you to remember this answer and I want you to raise your hand when you have an answer in your mind of why, what it takes to be saved or how to get to heaven. So just take your time. I'm going to look for every hand to be up, so keep them up. When you have an answer in your mind of how to get to heaven, what it takes to get to heaven. And if your answer is, I don't know, then raise your hand because that's your answer. Okay, so you can't not have a hand up. Everybody here has an answer in their mind of how they think they're going to get to heaven. Okay, I'm looking for every hand. You still figuring it out? Oh, you got a hand. You're in black. I couldn't see it there. You were camouflaged. All right. I'm going to wait a little longer. I got a few hands down still. I'm assuming he has an answer. All right, you can put him down now. The answer to this question, really, there's not even a comparison. This is the most important question you'll ever 
be asked or, or the most important question you'll ever um, need to answer. And so I want to make sure today, before you walk out, you understand what it takes to be saved, okay? Now, Acts 16.25 just asks the question. It doesn't really go into detail on what you need to do. It just tells you an answer, and we've got to delve into that answer because this answer is so simple that you could actually not do what it's telling you to do, okay? So I want to read this. It says in Acts Acts 16.25, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had all escaped. Now, if you don't understand this, he has an obligation. Uh, he's bonded to keep those prisoners, and if something happens that they were to escape, they would actually kill him for that. He was bonded to keep them in that prison. And so Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling uh, with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved in your own household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and baptized them at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and they rejoiced along with the entire household that they had what? Believed in God. So when you read that, it almost sounds like what it's saying is, an emotional moment, a decision made at one moment, and we're good. And unfortunately, this is not exactly what that's saying. They're believing in what? The Lord Jesus Christ. They're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what typically happens in America when we see this. We see some people will make a profession of belief, and then they'll go right back to their lifestyle. And because somebody told them that all you have to do is believe, kind of like the Easter Bunny, kind of like Santa Claus, and you can get mad at me if you want, but I'm trying to come against a false theology that's in the world and people are going to split hell wide open because they're believing a philosophy that says if you believe one time and go exactly back to what you're doing and not living for God, then you're okay. And they'll say, well, of course you're okay. You know, I remember when he gave his heart to the Lord. I remember when he believed and Yeah, he went right back to what he was doing and nothing changed in his life. But man, I remember the moment that he did that. And I'm telling you, according to the Bible, that is not what they're talking about when they say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is a term that embodies something really full. It's kind of like saying uh, when you're on top of a roof, I believe in gravity. And if I believe in gravity, then I'm probably not going to jump off the roof because gravity is going to kill me. If you believe in gravity, then don't jump off the roof. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to behave differently. Something is going to affect your life, and He's going to be the Lord of your life. And so it's as simple as believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to miss the fact that it's as simple as believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's mechanisms and a believing heart to begin to function differently and to begin to behave differently based on this belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work. And another thing that they'll try to do, they will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then they'll move forward and they will try through what's called legalism or false righteousness or self-righteousness and they'll try to live for the Lord. And that is equally destructive. How many know this? It's equally destructive to say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then move forward and try to do good. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But one thing I want you to remember before I start the message is there is a place in the Bible where there's a man uh, who's being executed with Jesus Christ. And the one on the one side is mocking Christ. The one on the other side kind of uh, scolds the man for mocking Christ, and he says that this is basically the way to salvation is this man, and you're mocking him, and he hasn't done what we've done. And Jesus looks at that man, and very simply, this man was professing a belief in Jesus Christ as Lord, and Jesus said, you'll be in eternity with me very soon. So the reason I say that is because it's so simple that the Bible says a fool need not make a mistake, but it's also certain things are required of a person that has faith. And we've got to follow through with that faith, with our profession of faith. And so the reason I say that is if somebody in here If you're ever in a moment and you say, man, and I I hate to even say this, but I'm here for your good. I'm not here for my benefit. I'm not here for uh, any other reason but for your good. If you ever find yourself in a, God forbid, an accident. How many know that these things happen regularly in our society? And you're on the side of the road and you know you're dying? Terrible thing, isn't it? How many think that could happen to any one of us? You're on the side of the road. You've got multiple broken bones. You've got a collapsed lung. Your heart is barely beating. You know you're bleeding to death. Doesn't that break your heart? You're having a massive heart attack that you didn't see coming. You get blindsided on the road all of a sudden. Man, what a terrible thing for me to say, isn't it? But because I love you, can I tell you there was a thief on a cross 
that repented and accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of his life. I don't know any other story like that in the Bible. If it were any other person besides Jesus that forgave him and ushered him into eternity, then I would be skeptical, wouldn't you? But because it was Jesus, it was a man who was a very bad man, bad enough to be executed, right? And saw the error of his ways in the last moments of his life. And and please listen to me this morning. A lot of my messages are for discipling, they're for all kinds of other reasons, teaching the Bible, teaching foundations to stand on. This one is critical. This one is, you can't miss this one, because if you walk out of here, you say, well, I'm not going to decide today, I'm going to decide later. See, you will decide today. It doesn't matter what you publicly do, you'll decide today, either I accept him or I reject him. But I'm telling you, if you're about to die and you're down to your last breath, cry out to God. Please cry out to God. God, forgive me. God, I repent. God, you are the Lord of my life. God, please save my soul. I wouldn't want to go into eternity that way. But God, with that thief, forgave him. So just know if you're in the last breath of your life, you've got nothing else left, cry out to God. And for by all means, do it way before that moment. You may not have a second to even repent. You might not have a second to call him the Lord of your life. You might die so suddenly, so quickly. You might be eating at a restaurant, and somebody could come in with a gun and just eternity. No moment to think. And so church, I'm telling you, the worst way to go is at the last moment. But I want you to live every day knowing that I'm right with the Lord, that I know how to get to heaven, That because the Bible says, narrow is the way, few there be that find it. Very few people are going to find the truth of what I'm preaching today. They're not going to know how to get to heaven. We're not going to know this message, even though our society is inundated with the Bible, we still don't know how to get to heaven. You can be raised and you can listen to my messages every week, and some of you still don't know how to get to heaven. And so now I'm not scolding you, I'm just telling you we've got to change. I want everybody in here to have eternal life. I want everybody in here to make it to heaven. I want everybody in here to be the few that find it. And in order to do that, the Bible says that you must hear the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Bible says, how will they know unless they've been taught? And so we've got to hear this message today. Here's some of the things that you said would get you to heaven. And I'm guessing here, of course. One of the things you'll say is, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. James is a book that was written to the Jerusalem church. It was written to Jews in Jerusalem very early on of the gospel being preached. In fact, shortly after this passage that we're reading in Acts, it wasn't too much after that James wrote his book to make sure 
that you don't just have a belief, but that belief is followed up by actions. And James says this. James said in James 2.19, it says, The demons also believe, and they shudder. The demons believe, and they're afraid of God. How many think that a demon is going to heaven? So it's more than just a belief in God, right? I believe in God, it's all taken care of. I'm good to go. I believe in God. James also says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can the faith save him? Well, that almost sounds like heresy from James, doesn't it? According to some people, you can have faith and not follow it up with works. And and James is asking, can it save him? If he doesn't follow up his life with the belief that he claims to have. So we've got to be real careful just saying, I believe in him. Because there's more than just saying, I believe in God. There is lining yourself up with God as the Lord of your life. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Another answer to the question is, I trust in Jesus. And that may be the right answer too, and it may be the wrong answer. You say, well, I trust in Jesus to save me, but I'm not really going to be obedient to him in any other way. I just trust him to save me. Yeah, I trust him to save me. You got this, Lord. Now I'm going to go live my life. Do you understand trusting in Jesus with one person can mean one thing, but trusting in Jesus for another person can mean a whole other thing? Yeah, I trust him. Well, if you trust him, then do you trust his words? Because his words are saying to do this and to move forward in your faith, and you're refusing to, but I still trust him. The Bible is saying fully trust God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Okay, and it's going to get clear in a second here. Here's another line. I am not a bad person. Church, this is the most... This is the most um, wrong answer. This is the most wrong answer. If you, your answer was, I'm not a bad person, that is the most wrong answer. Because that means that you fully misunderstood the entire message of the gospel. Because the message of the gospel is, we're all bad people. There is no one that is righteous, no one that is good. We are all what the Bible calls sinners in need of a Savior. And so if your answer is, I'm not a bad person, we've got to fix that today. Because that is a bad, bad answer. That is not the answer um, that is going to get you into heaven. That's the answer that will exclude you very quickly from heaven. I'm not a bad person. I don't drink. I don't smoke, I don't cuss, is your answer. And this is very much like I'm not a bad person. This is I'm getting into heaven by what I do or by what I don't do. 
I'm trying to get into heaven by what I don't do, but really getting into heaven is by what you do in Christ. Faith. But their claim to heaven is that I don't do bad things, so I'm going to heaven. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. Another one. I am better than most. One says, well, I don't drink at all. One says, I, oh, I drink, but I've never got drunk. One says, I've got drunk, but I've never passed out. And one says, I get drunk all the time, just not every day. One says, I get drunk every day, but I'm not like the drug addict. So at which level do I put the line? Which level, in fact, uh, I'm going to get into Romans here in a minute. So we've got to fix, and we've got to understand. In fact, let me give you some other scriptures besides the believe and your whole household will be saved. Listen to this. Matthew 7, 21 is the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not cast out demons? And in your name did we not perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Second Corinthians 13.5 Test yourself, give yourself a test, and see if you're in the faith. Now, why would he say that? Give yourself a test. I mean, would like to take a test and see if you're in the faith. See if you're properly on your way to heaven or dangerously on your way to hell. Test yourself, see if you're in the faith, examine yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, or do you recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you have failed this test? How many think it's a good idea to test it? Test it by the word and say, man, am I in the faith or am I not? Or did I just make a profession that I believe in God, which uh, puts me on the same level as demons in some ways? Or am I following up my profession of faith with a life in Christ? Amen? Luke 6.44 says, For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. Meaning that if you have the genuine article, you're going to grow fruit. James 2.14, which I read already, I'm going to read again. Second Tim or Second Peter one ten. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and your choosing. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Meaning, he's constantly telling us to check and make sure we're in the faith. Right? You say, "Well, I don't need to check. I made that profession that one day, and I'm good." <laughs> he's saying constantly make sure you're in the faith. Okay. Now, Romans is a very interesting book. Romans, Paul is making, he's making a, um, he's trying to teach the church in Rome what it means to be saved, what it means to have salvation, justification, sanctification. 
And I don't want to read too much because I want to explain to you in the simplest of terms. Uh, Paul doesn't always use the simplest of terms. In fact, Peter said, Paul, Paul's hard to understand sometimes. And I want to make sure that what's on the pages of Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5, I want to make sure you understand them. And so the argument that Paul is making, he starts in Romans 1. And it's what I taught a couple of weeks ago, that there is a downward spiral. That society naturally, without God, uh, when they reject God, when they know God but they reject Him, uh, they begin to have a downward spiral of morality, and they're going, and they and they find themselves going farther and farther and farther away from God. And what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to lay a foundation for man being sinners. Okay, you need to listen to this because I'm going to try to correct your errors when it comes to how to get to heaven. So Paul starts with the Gentiles, and he says, "Without God, this is what Gentiles." naturally do. Those are the ones that aren't religious. Those are the ones that don't have the Bible, don't have church. Um, And he says they definitely uh, need God. They definitely need God's Word. They definitely need a Savior. But then he starts in in Romans chapter 2. He says, but how about those that have God? What about them? Are they going to make it to heaven? Are they going to be justified before God? He says, look at the Jews. The Jews have everything. God has revealed Himself to the Jews. He's given them the law. He's given them all these things. Will the Jews be justified before God? And he begins this discussion. And the discussion is, well, what about what happens when they teach the law? And they teach about stealing. He said... How can they teach men, the Gentiles, about stealing when they themselves, by their sin inclination, will steal? How can they teach about adultery when by their sin nature, in some way, they're going to break the law and still teach that this is how you're saved? And so it starts explaining that the law was never meant to save you. Let me say that again. The law was never meant to save you. The Jews could not be saved by the law because we are all breakers of the law. In fact, he gets done shredding the Jews and he says, Now, uh, no man can stand up. Everybody stands guilty before God. There is no man that seeks after Him. There is no man that goes after Him. We are all sinners. We are all lost. We all have no ability to even follow God. We're like sheep that are, like sheep that are blind and are lost and are helpless. And He's saying we all stand in the same place, and all the law does, everything in the Word of God, what it does is reveals our need because we can't live righteously. We're helpless. We're hopeless. We're all sinners lost forever. And then after he tells all this bad news, then he is able to begin to tell the good news. And the good news is that God doesn't do it based on how good we are. He doesn't do it on based on our... Um, um, our religious beliefs. He doesn't do it by how good we are because everything that is about us 
If we were to walk into heaven, we would be damned to hell, every one of us. How many know that? So God says, in fact, let me read Romans 3. Now you're ready for Romans 3. He says, what then? Are we better than they are? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. So this should wreck your idea of getting to heaven by I'm not a bad person. Wrong. You're worthy of hell. We're all bad. There's something in, in fact, if you don't think we're bad, read your newspapers. We need God's help. We think we're so smart, we can solve the problems of the world, but we are all have a sinful nature and we are helpless and hopeless without God giving us something from of above, righteousness from above. But he says, there's none righteous, not one. There's none who understand. There is none who seeks for God. You say, well, wait a minute. I, I seek after God with all of my heart. The Bible says there's none that seek after God. How many know that is something that by faith you receive the righteousness of God? Meaning you didn't have any of it before. If you're seeking after God... It's a gift that God has given through faith. God begins to impart righteousness and a desire to seek God. So he goes on and he says, There's none that seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of serpents is under their lips. Your mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and the world may become accountable to God. Well, I'm glad he speaks his mind. That everybody may become guilty and their mouth be shut before God. That means the whole purpose of the law is stand before God and recognize that you're not good. In fact, every time, and you're going to think this is crazy, every time I walk into a church to worship, do you know what I think? I never think that I'm good, I'm a wonderful religious person, I'm better than other people. Look at these other people. I think, what a miserable person I am, and how great God is that He lets me worship Him. That God has made me righteous, and I was filthy. Some people think they're so good and so wonderful that of course God wants me in His presence, because I'm great. And God is saying, no, you were unrighteous, you were filthy. You were a sinner. You have a heart that has an inclination for sin. Everything good that I want to put in your life comes by faith in Jesus Christ, and he begins to impart righteousness. He gives you his righteousness, and he imparts righteousness. Let me go on. Now we know that what... Oh, I'm sorry. I've never been there. Now the, now the good part. Justification by faith, chapter, verse 21, chapter 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been 
manifested. That's a big line. Meaning the law has no part in this. You being good and obeying uh, on your own strength has no part in this. Apart from that, God is giving a certain kind of God-righteousness. He's dispensing it apart from you having the determination that you're good and able to do it. God says because you have faith in the fact that you are a sinner, now God can finally give you righteousness. So you're standing before God, God, I'm a sinner, and I'm going to receive, I'm going to be imputed your righteousness, and now God can begin to impart his righteousness into your life. Now, wouldn't it be a terrible thing if I went 10 years down that road and said, I'm a good person, and didn't say, God, to you be the glory because you poured this righteousness into me. God, this is your righteousness. This is apart from me. This is where your grace bestowed upon me the ability to do good, the ability to be nice, the ability to have fruit, the ability to function any way at all that pleases God is a righteousness that comes from God. It's apart from the law. Hallelujah. It says, The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and came short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. You see that? God gave us a gift that we had no ability to earn. It's free. It means believe in me. Jesus Christ and everything he stands for, and now you're in a position to be to receive righteousness. Because the Bible says your righteousness is what? That means if I'm self-righteous and I go in the presence of the Lord, the Lord's going to say, get out of here. You know, you stink to high heaven. Get out of my presence. But if I put on Christ and walk into his presence, he sees perfection. Hallelujah. The righteousness that is from God. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier and the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, there's three things you need to remember about salvation. There's the salvation of the past, which is called justification. There's the salvation of the present, which is called sanctification. And then there's salvation in the future, which is called glorification. And so to understand these three tenses, past, present and future, you need to look at each one. Now, how is there a salvation that is from the past? And one of the great examples to make you understand the past is that God has never left man without a way to get to heaven. In fact, one of the great examples of Jesus Christ is Noah's Ark. From the very first man with Adam, how many know that God created a path for man 
to be saved. God allowed Adam to have a skin. Uh, He gave him the skin of a burnt offering, and it was sacrificed for the sins of Adam. And God made a promise when he gave them that forgiveness of that first sin and that sacrifice of that first animal. And he said, one day God is going to come down to this earth and he's going to crush this serpent. That's the first prophecy of the Bible. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It means that there is a prophecy that God is going to come down, he's going to die for man, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will actually harm his heel. And so God, in the past, through justification, was telling the world that from the foundation of the earth, I have had a plan, and that plan is in that Messiah. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to justify us. In fact, uh, Noah's Ark is a great example because he said that Jesus Christ saved us like he saved those eight in that flood. Noah built that ark for 120 years. How many remember the story? And this ark is really salvation. And None of those eight people could save themselves. How many know that? The only way to be saved was to be in the ark. And so Jesus Christ has made an ark like that today. Now, now really hear this. I want everybody to really listen closely to this part of it. Justification is, I have built an ark, a boat, that is going to heaven. And it's called Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ literally is en route to heaven. How many know this? It's the only vessel that will be received in heaven. And I'm giving you an analogy here to make you understand this. So all through the Bible, there's a terminology called in Christ. And when I'm in Christ, I'm in a plan that God devised before the foundation of the earth, it is the only means for me to get to heaven is to be in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, I'm on my way to heaven. If I'm not in Christ, I can't even get there. I have no ability to get there. In fact, the Bible says to be in Christ, I can be sanctified. That's the present. And you say, well, how does this work? When I'm in Christ, I go before the presence of the Lord, and the Lord gives me everything I need to be saved from sin, to be saved from danger, to be saved from being lost. You say, well, how do I go in the presence of the Lord? I do it in Christ. I just go right before the presence of the Father, and I have an advocate with Jesus Christ. My sins are covered, and I'm in this process of of salvation that is called sanctification. I mean, know this. And then there's a thing called glorification. You say, well, man, what's, what happens with glorification? That's where this vessel in Christ just goes right into eternity. You say, well, what's going to happen? You're going to go on eternity in Christ. And that's how I'm going to go from this present life to the world to come because I'm in Christ. And that's what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That means I believe in this plan that was devised from the foundation of the earth 
And, and, and I believe in that plan so much that I'm going to live my life according to the plan that God has revealed in His Word. Does that, everybody understand that? So in order to have salvation, in order to know you're right with God, know you're going to heaven, you first have to realize that I'm a sinner, that I'm not good, that none of my good behavior will get me to heaven, none of these uh, being better than another person. One is not better than another person. A murderer has just as much of ability as somebody who's never murdered. Somebody who is really good may not be on their way to heaven because they don't realize they're a sinner. Isn't that sad? And so until I realize that I'm a sinner, until I recognize that I'm a sinner, until I recognize that there's no good in me, I can't receive what God has for me. And you say, well, what happens now when I've accepted Jesus as the Lord of my life and I acknowledge that I need His help, I need to be saved, I need His righteousness, I need His goodness, I need His fruit, I need His Holy Spirit in my life. And, and John, First John, does a real good job. Remember he said... Um, in, in, in first or I'm sorry, first Corinthians it says, "Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith." Well, first John is one of those tests. John wanted them to know. John's one of the latest books of the Bible. It's you know toward the end of the century, whereas James and you know some of those are very early books around the fifties. But John kind of sums everything up, and in first John, he gives a good test where we can look at ourselves and say, are we in the faith? Because that book is all about testing your faith to see if my belief is exactly lining up with what the Bible says. So it says, in fact, um, here's John's purpose for 1 John. It says in 1 John 1, 6 and 7, it says, if we say we have fellowship with Him, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do... Oh, I'm sorry, that's not what I was supposed to read. First John 5.13, this is why he wrote the book. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you may have eternal life. John, his stated goal in the book is so you know you have eternal life. You know you're on your way to heaven. I want you to know this. That's why I wrote this book, right? Now, how close was John to Jesus? John may have been Jesus' closest friend. He was the last living member of um, uh, Jesus' disciples. Uh, He's lived to be a very old age here. He's writing this book in his old age. Uh, He doesn't have a whole lot else to focus on except writing this book because he's probably uh, pretty isolated at this point of his life. And so he wants to make sure you know how to get to heaven and you apply this test to your life from 1 John. So the first part is, a believer is someone who confesses their sins. John says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. How harsh is that? If you say to yourself, I have no sin, John says you're deceiving yourself and the truth isn't in you. So how many think it would be best just to say that I'm a sinner? Safer, isn't it, 
to just be truthful? That, hey, I can be ugly sometimes, I can be mean sometimes. You say, wait a minute, Chad, I don't ever smell bad, I, I don't ever look bad, I don't ever do anything wrong, I'm never ugly to anybody. The uh, Bible says you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. I would rather come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be more like you. Lord, show me, you know, like David said, uh, search my heart, God, and tell me where I'm bad. Because you know what? I know I'm bad. You know, I don't try to be bad. I try to be good. I try harder probably than anybody to be good. But I still mess up all the time. And so that's why I want to be in His presence. That's why I want to be in His Word. That's why I want to admit I'm wrong because, God, I need you to change me. In fact, that's one of the reasons why you say, well, why? I can tell you this. There are people that were better than I am now. They were better than me as a human being. And I've been serving the Lord now for a long, long time. They're better in their natural state than I am now. They're nicer people. I'm just telling you the truth. It's why good people, it's not a fair judge of character to say just by being a good person you get to heaven because it's not based on how good you are. It's based on how, you know, submitting your life to Jesus Christ and letting Him change you. I'm still trying to get to the level of niceness of some people. I'm I'm still trying to get to that level of kindness. And thank God He doesn't judge me based on the fact that I can't reach it. That He's trying to change me. That He's trying to make me a better person. That He's trying to fix areas of my life where I'm broken. Does everybody understand that? It's not on how good you are. It's about saying that I receive your free gift and I need you to change me, Lord. And so somebody who is a believer will confess their sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, okay, now I'm one that's confessing because I'm a believer. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say then we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He says again in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hallelujah. Second thing that is a part of this test to make sure you have true belief. Believers have a desire to keep His commandments. Now this is where the confusion comes. A lot of people say, well, I keep His commandments, so that's how I know I'm going to heaven. I keep His commandments, so that's how I know. and you can be fooled into that. How many have ever been fooled into that? I keep His commandments, so that's why I'm going to heaven. I'm obedient. I'm one of the good people. You guys are amazing that you've never been through a stage where you thought your righteousness would get you to heaven. That's amazing. In a group this size, nobody has ever believed that their self-righteous behavior would get them to heaven. So nobody's answer was, I'm better than the next guy. Nobody's answer was, I'm not a bad person. Nobody's answer was, I'm a good person. All of those beliefs are entrenched in the fact that I believe keeping His commandments is going to get me to heaven. And it's the opposite. Because I know I'm a sinner, and because He saved me with grace, and I didn't deserve it, it was unearned, it was unmerited, because of that, I love Him so much, and I understand, I believe in His work, and His work is to help us get rid of sin. So now, I hate sin. I don't want sin in my life, but I also understand I'm not going to hell because of my sins. 
Those are very important distinctions. How many know that? Now I'm free to work on sin. Now I'm free to work on my problems, my issues. I can walk before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me again because I did this. Hey, Lord, forgive me because I did this. Lord, give me your righteousness. I'm not cutting it. I'm not, I'm not able to accomplish it. And so by being honest about sin and understanding that sin doesn't condemn you, now a believer naturally doesn't want to sin and has a, has, has a real hatred for sin. Really wants to fight in their life and wants the righteousness of God now. How I many you know that there's a time in your life that you woke up and you didn't care about being right with God? Now you want to be right with God. And it's very important to understand, though, that I'm not going to heaven based on my ability to keep the commandments. I keep the commandments because I appreciate the fact that the Lord died for my sins. Big difference. One is love. One is just trying to escape and take care of yourself. Amen? Make yourself look good. Another thing John says. Actually, here's John's scriptures for that, uh, keeping his commandments. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So it says, by this, this is First uh, John 2, 3, and 4. By this we know that we have come to know him. How do we know that you know God? If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. John speaks it like it is, doesn't he? So if you say, man, I've trusted in God and now I know him, how can you say you know him if you don't keep any of his commandments? The fact that you have a desire to keep his commandments means that you intimately know him, right? 1 John 5, 2 and 3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome to us. You know, if keeping the Lord's commandments are burdensome, then maybe you don't understand what he did for you, right? I want to keep his commandments. I, I, I'm not going to heaven or hell based on my keeping commandments, but because I know him and I love him, I want to keep God's commandments. Amen? True believers love other brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's say that you just say, well, I've got a belief in God, but I'd rather keep to myself and stay home, not be around anybody else. And the Bible says if you know Him and you love Him and you've received Him, then you will love other believers. In fact, 1 John says this, it's one of the tests. 1 John 2, 9-11, The one who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him, but the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is another test that I've received Jesus as the Lord of my life. Jesus died for all of these people. How can I hate them? How can I not love them as well? How can I not go out of my way to be an example to other people? And so one of the ways you know that you're in Christ is that you love the church and you say, how many have ever walked to church and say, man, I don't know. I, I, I just, that person over here, that person over there. I mean, everybody loves Paul, right? Smo is smiling. I love Paul. 
Paul's hard not to love, but there's some in this church, you walk in, you're like, man, I don't know about that person. I don't know about this person. But you know what? My faith in Jesus Christ says, I love them with all my heart. I'll die for them. And there's love in the body whenever you have received Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. John says it. We can't avoid it. Let me give you another one. You say, well, that was just one scripture. You isolated that. 1 John 3.10, same book. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are very obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Pretty clear. I guess we are a brother's keeper, huh? <laughs> Another one, First John still, still same chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. It says, we know that we have passed out of, out of death and into life. How do we know this? Because we love the brethren. He who does not have love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You realize how serious these words are? You say, well, man, I just thought that I was supposed to just have a belief that one day at that Billy Graham revival, and it was done with, and I'm good. No, there are some things you need to follow up on with that faith and that belief. And I mean, you're, I'm going to read that again because I don't think we got that. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How many want to pass out of death and into life? Present tense. Because we love the brethren. That's how we know. He who does not, uh, he does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wow. That's awesome. But Chad, I hate you. <laughs> you have to love me. You have to love me. Believers do not deny Christ. 1 John 2.20 says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know, I have not written to you because you know the truth, you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. First John 4, 2, he also says, By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 1 John 4, 5 says, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us, but he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And you say, well, man, that's narrow-minded. There's a lot of awful good religions out there. You know, you could be a Buddhist. You could be a Muslim. You could be uh, just a, uh, a Judaism without Christ. And the Bible puts a line of delineation here. The ones who have life have Christ, and the ones that don't have Christ have no life, no eternal life. And you say, well, man, how is that possible? And the reason it's possible is the plan of salvation from the foundation of the world, from the first family and populated the entire earth, the message was that God is going to come from heaven 
And through His Messiah, He's going to save the world. That's the universal message. It was a message from the beginning. People have tried to obscure it. People have tried to destroy it. But it's the only message of salvation from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ coming as the Messiah is the message from the Garden of Eden until the day that we live right now, and it's never been obscured. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 1 that Satan tried to put it out. He tried to extinguish it, but he couldn't extinguish it. Jesus Christ, from the very beginning, is the only universal message to the world. There was no Hindu. There was no Buddhist. Okay, There was no other religions at that point. God had one message to universal mankind that God is going to come from heaven in the form of the Messiah, and He's going to save the world. And if you believe in Him, eternal life. If you don't believe in Him, you rejected the only boat that it's on its way to heaven. The only ark that was made for man's safety is Jesus Christ. Get every other one out of your mind. Remember, this message is of critical importance. I am a sinner. I will not make it to heaven no matter how good I am, no matter what I do, no matter what I do, God is not going to accept it. Only faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that will save me. Hallelujah. John also talks about another test, and that is um, true believers will follow after holiness. Holiness, very simply, we get confused with holiness. Now, there have been a lot of people try to define holiness by dressing a certain way, acting a certain way, this or that. Holiness in its simplest form just means I am separated for, to God. Like God wants to do things in me to reach the world. God wants people to look at me and see what kindness is about. God wants people to look at me and want to see what love is about. God wants people to look at me and you and see what is faith about. And so holiness is me being separated for God's purpose. Remember Jesus said, many will come and say, Lord, Lord, but the ones that don't do the will of the Father, they're not going into heaven. The will of the Father is that people look at you as separated for God, and if there's no distinction between you and the world, then how can we be going after holiness? John puts it this way. John 1 John 2.29 If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. Now remember, we don't get to heaven by righteousness, right? But God has set us aside to perform righteousness that is from God. That means that we're going to grow in love. All this fruit of the Spirit, uh, we're going to grow in love, we're going to grow in peace, we're going to grow in joy. Um, The Holy Spirit's going to be doing all this through us from God because God has set us aside as a message, as an epistle, Paul said to the world. It's going to be a book, our life, written for the world. And so somebody who has received this Philippian jailer, he didn't just believe. He was put with these believers and began to live this out. He He was probably known after that point as the Philippian jailer who loves God. Philippian jailer who lives for God. The Philippian jailer who uh, trust God. And uh, so God wants to do righteousness through us. 1 John 3, 3 and 4. Everyone who has this hope of Jesus fixes on Him and purifies himself, just as God is pure Himself. 
Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3, 6-9. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, no one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. Do you see this? Our righteousness doesn't save us, but in order to receive his righteousness, we have to come with nothing. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray that this message is both simple to understand, Lord God, and applicable, Lord, where you can take it and just run with it, Lord God. Run with your gospel, Lord God. Oh, Father, I just pray right now that you would um, anoint the words, Lord. Father, change hearts, Lord God. Take away all pride, every distraction, Lord God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Church, this, um, every message has to have um, application. You have to take it and do something with it or it doesn't mean anything. You say, well, man, how simple is it to get to heaven? It's very simple. Believe in Him, trust in Him, and you will be saved. And can I tell you something? When I got saved... I started recognizing that I was a sinner. I started recognizing that I was going to end up in hell if I died because I wasn't a believer. I didn't know Jesus Christ. I didn't know God at all. And I recognized the simple message that if I believe in Him and put my life in His hands, that God will save me. And up until that point, I couldn't lay my head down and sleep at night. I was afraid to die. There was a fear in me of dying because I knew I wasn't right with God. But the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, there's never been a fear of death anymore. I'm never afraid to die. I'm ready to be in the presence of the Lord. I know that I'm right with the Lord. You say, well, what happened? My prayer was simple. Nobody was there to lead me to the Lord. Nobody was there to influence me for the Lord. The Lord just told me, hey, take my hand. Take my hand spiritually. And and, and I spiritually just grabbed God's hand. And here was my prayer. Lord, I'm going to hold your hand. And I'm never going to let go. No matter what. If my girlfriend, which was my only girlfriend I've ever had, my wife, if she leaves me, I'm not letting go. If every friend that I have leaves me, which they did, I'm not going to let go. If I lose everything, for rich or for poor, it doesn't matter. I'm holding on to your hand. And I realized that his hand was the only thing that could pull me from death into life. 
And can I tell you something? All kinds of things have happened in my life, but I love him more today and I'm more secure in his arm than I've ever been because I realize it's the only thing I have. There's nothing of any value close to what I have in holding on to the Lord. In church, I get more excited every day because I'm closer and closer to being with Him. Never fear dying. In fact, I've almost died a few times. Uh, I almost drowned with my youth group one time. And that's the closest I ever came to dying. I jumped off the bottom of the ocean. I can't swim at all. Jumped off the bottom of the ocean several times because I can't swim. And as I was going down for the last time, I knew that it was my last time. I couldn't breathe anymore. I was yelling, but there was a storm, and it was loud. Nobody could hear me. I was drifting away from everybody, and I was about to die. And I just remember thinking to myself, in fact, Braxton's back in the booth. Braxton was a little boy, and I, was, and I thought to myself, I want to see my son one last time before I die. I just want to take one last look at him, but in my heart, there was nothing but peace. In fact, I'm glad I had that moment because I felt so peaceful in knowing that I was going to be with the Lord. In church, there's nothing I would trade in this world for that. That assurance that I'm right with God, that assurance that, that, yeah, I'm a sinner, I'm the worst of sinners, but God, I've given my life to you. I serve you with joy. I obey your commandments the best I can with joy. Lord, I serve the church. I serve the people. I give my money. I give anything that God asks me to give. I joyfully give because I'm a sinner that is so undeserving that Jesus Christ died for the sinner and he died for you. And, and church, I just want you to get rid of all pride. There's an altar up here. I'll pray with you. If you're not sure you're right with God and you're not sure of heaven today, then you need to make sure. It can't be based on you being good. It can't be based on you being not that bad. It can't be based on um, that you're better than most people. It can't be based on that you had a belief that you went to an altar for one time. It can't be based on, I trust Him to save my soul, but I don't trust Him to live every day with. It's got to be, I give you all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. And then God will impart righteousness. Hallelujah. Church, this altar is open. Don't be afraid. We're here for this. We're here for this. Don't be afraid to find a place up there. I'll let you pray alone if you want. Or I'll pray with you if you need prayer. But I will help you know for sure. I mean, I think it would be great if everybody in here lived the kind of life they knew for sure that I'm right with God. No matter what happens, if I die, my life's only getting better because I'm going to be with the Lord. Let me think that'd be awesome. That's what we want, church. We want everybody to know they're going to heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's worship. Find a place at the altar. Find a place at your seat. If you need prayer, find me because I want to pray with you if you need prayer. Hallelujah.
as I got older, that because I know God, I would I would be less of a sinner. I would be a better person and more acceptable to God. And you know what I realized? My sin is deeper and deeper and deeper the more I know Him. It's almost like God didn't want to show me how sinful I was at first. But the more I know Him, the deeper my sin goes in this heart. And so every time I'm in God's presence, His grace gets more and more amazing. It's more amazing. When I worship the Lord, it's more amazing. It's like, God, how can I worship in Your presence when I'm this? And the Lord says, because I'm amazing. My grace is amazing. My love. Lord, how do you love me when I was this and I am this? And the Lord says, my love gets more amazing. And can I tell you something? If every time you walk in God's presence, you're trying to win his approval, you're trying to win his favor, you're doing a whole backwards kind of theology. When you come into his presence, recognize that I'm a sinner. It's deep, but God loves me. I'm a sinner, but God covers me with his grace so I can know him, so I can approach him, so I can be his friend. Don't lie to yourself and say that I don't need God. I'm a good person. Come into God's presence and say, how did you do this, Lord? Look at me. I'm worshiping you. I'm loving you. I'm in your presence. You're helping me with my sin. Lord says, let's reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. That means that I can walk into the church and some of you have felt condemnation for too long. You walk into his presence and say, well, I didn't have a good week. I messed up again. Well, man, those are the best worship services. Because I can say and be honest with God, hey, here's your failure. Love me. Here's your failure, Lord God. Love me. That's why you died for me. That's why you poured your grace on me. Because you want to help me with my sins. You want to help me through this life. And church, you've got to serve the Lord in that way where His grace gets more amazing. I question where a person's at with the Lord if I don't see the worship. And the reason why is because I can't help but worship Him because I love Him so. I'm so indebted for what He's done for me. I'm so amazed. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be serving the Lord. My life experiences should have taken me down a different path. In church, if you're amazed and you're like shocked that God has made me one of His own, and all you can do is say, God, thank you. I'm so indebted to you. I love you so much. And it transfers every part. God, I want to know more about you. I want to read your word. I want to, I want you to change me. I don't want this in my life. God, I want you to make me more like you. God, I adore you. I love you. But if what you're doing is walking into this church and saying, I got to be good enough for God and I got to prove my, you know, self to God or I got to get God's approval. And that's just not the way to do it, church. Come in here and just, in awe. God, you died for me. You made me a child. I'm on my way to heaven. You did this before the foundation of the earth. You've given my sins. You love me. You bless me. And, and, and God is great. It starts with God, not us. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless your people, Lord God. Father, let them trust you with all of their heart, Lord God. Let them know. 
Lord God, where they're going to spend eternity, Lord God. Father, I just pray, Lord, that this message goes all the way to the end of their lives, Lord God. Remember? Remember, Lord God, hallelujah. Lord, you want all men, Lord, to live in eternity with you. All people, Lord God, to live with you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah.